Welcome to Gen Z Hoops, the Gen Z basketball coaching and sports business show. On this podcast, you'll learn from professional players, coaches, and executives from all over the world and see the court in a brand new way. And now, joining you courtside, your Gen Z host, John Hartafillis. Hi, Coach Brett. How are you? I'm good, John. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for coming on. And it's going to be really interesting to hear a lot of your insights. Having had Coach Tyellis on the show earlier in episode number 17, I'm so interested to see both what you learned um, during that time with him, as well as all the things you've done around that in terms of all the ways you've seen the game in different ways. It's going to be really interesting. Yeah, that's awesome. Excited to be on. Tyellis was a great coach and a great person, was an awesome person to work for, and now has been a great friend. So uh, that's cool you had him on and excited to follow up with that. Awesome. So, I mean, just to get right into it, can you kind of tell our listeners a little bit about how you went from your collegiate career into deciding that you wanted to go into a lifetime of coaching? Yeah, so it's raised in coaching. Uh, my dad was a college basketball coach for almost 40 years and was at the head coach at a small school in mid-Missouri for 31 years, I guess it was. So uh, I was born on the first day of basketball camp. Uh, my junior high was across the street from the college. So I, after school, I'd walk over uh, across the street to the gym, set up my homework on the scores table and, uh, and watch him uh, lead practice. You know, our, our lives revolved around it. I'd go on recruiting trips with him and, and road games and to the national tournament. And it was, just, it was just a natural part of our lifestyle. So I was raised in it and it was, it was something I knew in my mind that I was probably gonna be doing in, in some capacity, um, regardless, my mom tried to talk me out of it. The genes prevailed. So, yeah, so I, I played college basketball in Indiana. Uh, after that, I played for Hall of Fame coach there, um, who has produced a lot of good coaches. And then it just kind of naturally segued into, uh, into a coaching career of my own. That's so awesome to think about. And then I'm really interested to hear about some of the stops you made at the beginning, especially with uh, going out of the video room. Because it's so interesting to hear about all, I mean, the, the, the main stories that everyone knows about are Eric Spolster and guys like that, that sure. went from um, being in the video room 20 years ago to coaching in the NBA finals. What was it like kind of for you in, in taking those lessons from the video room? Yeah, the video room is a fantastic place to learn because you're just, you're watching a ton of basketball, just nonstop, you know, from around the league, you're, you're watching your own stuff two or three times, and then you're doing opponent scouting. So every opponent you play you're watching them five times uh, you just get such a good feel for different trends and, and different styles of play uh, different things other teams are doing terminology and you, you build your own little library as you're working through all that I mean I just I've never watched so much basketball film in my life and, and so it's just such an intense experience not only watching like high uh, high quality of video or high quantity of video about the number of stuff you watch, but the, the depth at which you're digging into all of it, um, that it forces you to dig into all of it. So, uh, it's just a, it's a great spot to learn, uh, and develop your, your X's and O's and strategy and, and tactical skills. That's really cool. And then thinking about how you were head of the video room in, in 2016 and then getting called up now to be the associate head coach of the G League team, that transition, while, while you've been prepared to coach all your life, going from the video room to now the right, right, right um, at the front line of, of, a, of, a, of a really new G League team at that too. That was the first year. So what was that right. like for you? 
Yeah, you know, it was a it was a great transition. I think everyone in the video room is is trying to get out of the video room and, and get onto the floor and, and do more hands-on coaching. The G League provided a perfect platform to do that. And when you're in the video room, you know, you're collecting all your ideas, right? You're you're putting together your portfolios and your uh, binders and, and files of things that you'll do when you get your opportunity. Um, and then the G League becomes a great training ground. Um, it's just, it's, it's an environment where you get to experiment and, um, you know, not necessarily the, the, the pressure on the outcomes as you see in the NBA or some other levels. And so you get to try a lot of things. Um, and there's not a lot of voices there where an NBA staff might be 12 people on, on the coaching staff in the G league, it's going to be three to five. And so you get a lot of opportunity to hands-on experience, have a voice in meetings and, and actually shape the direction of, of the program. And so, yeah, it was, it was a great opportunity to put everything I learned into practice and see what worked and what didn't, you know, in kind of a low, low risk environment. It's super interesting, especially when you bring that up, because when you, when people talk about the G league, I always hear about the, the differences compared to other leagues in terms of travel, the, the schedule or, or, or two-way contracts. But that's the first time I really heard someone talk about the, the size of the coaching staff, or, or, or in some cases, where you're able to have that connection with players that, that really is very different from any, almost any other coaching job. Yeah, it's, uh, it, it makes it really unique. The NBA has a lot of perks and, uh, and sexiness to it, but everyone thinks that, you know, you're, in the NBA. And so you're going to get to, you know, coach LeBron James, but in reality, there's 10 people on staff and 15 players, and you might have one or two guys that you're really connected with and, and get to spend a lot of time with, you know, when you get to the G league, that ratio turns to four or five. And then because of smaller staff, you know, you get to transcend just your small group of, of cohort and get to uh, work with all the players. And just impact on the on the team. You know, there's you know, 10, 10 people can't have a voice in your strategy and your offensive playbook and all that kind of stuff. It's just too many voices. But you know, when you're one of three or four, then you can you can really move the needle. And so it's a it's it's a great place to learn and and try and experiment and uh, and put yourself out there. When it comes to experimenting with with newer fun things. Um, when Coach Ty came on the show, he was talking about how he has some really funny little little phrases. I'm curious to see if he was using it there with the one season you had with him, where it was a baby and church. Were, were those around back then, or did he develop those later on? Yeah, we uh, we did do church as part of the okay. program, so that was fun. For I, he probably explained it, but you know, it was just a a way to kind of you know when you go into church, they always have a segment of the of the program where you know, everyone stops and greets each other and you say hi and, and shake each other's hands and stuff. So it was just a good way to, to either break some tension within the group or just a good way to start, you know, just go and, and high five and hug your brother and, and say hi and, and start with a smile. So yeah, that was a unique, unique thing we had in our culture. Of course, definitely a great way to release some tension. And I, I thought that was when he said that, that it was, that it was hilarious. So, I mean, off that point, you've, you've done so much work with the, with the mental side of the game. How much do, do things like that in terms of it that come out with your players positively impact performance on the court? Yeah, for sure. The, the season is such a grind, you know, the G League especially, because most guys in the G League, you know, you're not there for the finances. You're, you're making just enough money to, to survive the season. You know, you're not there for the notoriety. There's 
not a lot of people are paying attention. Not a lot of people in the stands, you know, you're there to, to get to the next level, to make a jump in your career. And it can, and it can feel like a sacrifice, you know, like you're kind of going into the cave. And when I was a head coach of the NAZ Suns, we used to talk about we're, we're in Prescott Valley, you know, up in the mountains in Arizona. And we talked about, we're going from Bruce, Bruce Wayne to Batman, you know, the story in the dark Knight trilogy where Bruce Wayne kind of goes off and into the caves and into the mountains and trains and gets really good. And he comes back to Gotham with all these skills to be Batman. And so that's what we were doing. And, but that grind is, is hard. It can be mentally taxing, you know, emotionally taxing. Um, there are days where it's hard to get up and do it again. You know, it's easy to lose hope, especially when other people are getting called up or, or maybe you're not having the success you anticipated. And so anything like that, where you can kind of tap into a mindset of, of resiliency to keep going, to show up the next day and a support group around you that you're not in it by yourself. Those things are super valuable to helping players not only survive a G League season, but thrive in it and, and find the success they're looking for. Of course, everything when it comes to mentality is so important. And I, and I, I can't wait to really dive into that in, in a little bit because you're so knowledgeable on that. And I would imagine it's helped you so much in your in your coaching. In 2018, when you made the jump to head coach of the Northern Arizona Suns, what was that 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 jump like for you in terms of everything that's happened since then? You know, kind of the next natural progression. You know, the one thing working with Coach Ellis, he empowered the staff so much that it already felt like we had a big voice as as if we were a head coach of a team. So that was a great preparation for, for taking over myself a couple of years later, you know, and then again, there's, you, you just, as you make those transitions and, and change roles, it just, it reduces some barriers to, to trial and error and, and experimentation and figuring out what works and what doesn't. Uh, you start to sharpen your own voice and your own personality as a coach and, and learn a lot about who you are. And it's really, uh, a learning experience you can't get any other way. I, I had reached a point in my career where I thought one of two things needed to happen. Either A, I needed an old wise man to come and tell me that what I believed wasn't going to work, or B, I needed to go do it and see and try and see what worked and what didn't and, and, and learn from failures. The reality is A, wasn't going to happen. Like there wasn't, there wasn't one you know, way to do things. And there wasn't going to be a, an old wise sage to, to pick the stuff apart because you don't know what's going to work, what's going to fit with your personality and, uh, and with your character and your values. And then how's that going to match with the values of the organization? And then the personalities and the players you're coaching, you know, it's an, it's an ever-changing equation. So being able to just jump into the fire, two feet in. And the thing about being a head coach is like, you can't take a day off. Like, and I don't mean that as you have to work 24 seven. I mean, every day you're the head coach. And so every day you have to show up with something and, and, and to be put in a situation where you can't come in with, with no answers. You have to, you have to come up with something and it really forces you to, to search and, and try and, and test your resiliency and, and toughness and, uh, and your creativity. Uh, so it's, it's just a invaluable learning experience. It was interesting when you, when you brought up being a head coach and how it's a daily thing. Um, and it, it's funny how we keep on going back to coach Todd, but all these lessons kind of tie in how he had made such a big deal about being a head coach. 
not so much a head coach, but a head coach. And mm. I thought that was, and, and for those that can't see, I'm pointing at my head. And, and when it said that, I'm like, wow, that's a different way of thinking. Cause I think of myself, I'm, I'm an assistant coach in, at the high school level and I'm not big on the X's nose. I look at myself more as being someone that is closer in age to the players and can relate to them on that, on that level. Sure. But in, in that sense, I, is it possible for the, an assistant coach to be a head coach in that sense that they're, that they're talking to a, a player mentally from that, from that side? Is that, what, what do you think on, about that? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I think that's a responsibility for every coach that you have to understand you're coaching people. You're not coaching chess pieces. And so we like to just get them to, to increase their powers on the chessboard so we can move them around and, and win the game. But you know, that's, a, that's a pretty selfish approach to coaching. The players aren't there to serve us. We're there to serve them. And we have to understand that we're coaching people. So they're more than their jump shot. They're more than their post skills or defensive abilities. They're people with emotions and fears and goals and aspirations and insecurities and in relationships, um, all that stuff plays into it. And so if we're really there to serve them, to help them become the best players that they're capable of, uh, we have to take that into account. Uh, we have to start um, addressing the, the mental side of the game and, and that approach to it. Otherwise, we're just trying to tap into their skills and use them for our advantage. Um, and, and that's really a, a shallow way to go about it. I love that looking at players as more than just chess pieces. Um, and it, it really got me thinking about the way that as coaches, we have to be communicating with these players and, and also seeing them as more than their skill set. Obviously, though, when you take that approach the way you have, you end up finding a lot of success in players getting better, right? Which are the results you, you wanted from originally. And right. in the G League level, you start seeing a lot of things like call-ups and, and, and players finding success at that next level. Can you kind of tell us a little bit about some of the call-ups that you've seen happen recently that you're incredibly proud of and where, and where you see those players going? Yeah, um, you know, just recently, um, you know, DeAnthony Melton, signed her in the recent free agent uh, frenzy that happened this year in 2020, uh, signed a big new contract with the Memphis Grizzlies, uh, which was awesome to see. Uh, he spent a lot of time with us in, in NAZ. Um, and so to see a guy like that, uh, for it to pay off um, and, and to be rewarded uh, was great. I think he'll be a, a fantastic player. You know, and the, the other ones you see, um, that you don't necessarily see are guys that are having successful careers overseas too. You know, the G league becomes a, a launching pad for a career. The NBA is obviously the most visible, but there's a lot of ways to make money in basketball and, and guys are getting, getting paid. Uh, it was just talking with Alex, uh, Alec Peters this week, and he's over in Europe and, and playing at a high level um, and, and on some good teams. And so uh, it, it's cool to see those success stories as well. Oh, of course. And then off that note, are there any players that you kind of are, are, are shocked by that haven't gotten those call-ups yet or those opportunities that you know will come in, in really soon? Who are those players we should look at? We should be looking out for. Yeah. You know, the, the, the G league is just full of those guys and it's, it's really hard. Uh, and this is kind of the mental piece of it that you have to help them navigate is there's, there's a limited number of jobs in the NBA you know, a limited number of roster spots. And there are a ton of guys in the G League right now who are capable of being on an NBA roster, being in a rotation, maybe even being a starter. And there's just so much that goes into the decision for those guys to make it to the NBA. You know, it's not just about their talent alone. 
It's uh, also about, you know, any kind of personality or character traits that they might have uh, and how they'll impact the team. But not just that, like it's, it's team needs. Every organization has a different approach to how they're filling out their roster. Sometimes it's just a contract deal. Like how much money would you be scheduled to make based on the salary scales? There's just so many factors that go into it. Um, and, and it's something we talk about a lot, you know, with, with the players I've coached is, uh, you know, scouts are coming to the G League games to watch them play. They got a list of 100 guys that, they're, that are potential to be called up to their roster. They're looking for any reason to cross that list off and narrow down the choice. And so what we told our guys a lot, like, don't give them any reason to cross your name off the list. Whatever that is, it's tuck your shirt in or, you know, dress professionally or your attitude on the bench whatever your, your approach to the officials, whatever that might be, don't give them any reason to cross your name off the list. So uh, th that's just, just the battle that, that guys are facing in the G League. It's tough. There's just a finite number of jobs. Uh, but yeah, a ton of guys in the league who, who have the potential to play in the NBA. Definitely. And it's crazy to think about when you, when you think about how much talent the NBA has, and there's another level to it entirely when it comes to how much talent the G League has. Um, it's it's, it's yeah. incredible to wrap your mind around that. Uh, transitioning back to the mental side of things, um, I, I was curious to ask you about a, a, a Jalen LeCue, who's, who's been on your roster. And he's a player that um, in high school was getting a lot of attention and a lot of YouTube hits for, for his style of play and, and the way it was received by social media. How do you think that, that something like that off the court impacts on the court performance? And how have you seen him overcome that and, 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 play, and play with that as a backdrop? Yeah, it's kind of the, the new generation of, of players um, and, and the way the league is going. It's, it's just had, it's such a player-focused league. It's such a highlight-driven league. And so it, it, players eat that stuff up and they get a lot of attention because of it. You know, I think what, they'll, what they learn over time is that there has to be some substance behind the flash and, and that takes some maturity and, and some growth to to understand that and develop that but it definitely impacts uh the way and what kind of what we said about the g league like you're going into the g league and there's not a lot of notoriety there people aren't watching you and it really forces you to to focus on what's important and if you want to have a long career then you better have you know uh, a lot of substance to your game and your personality and your character, and because it, it's going to be a lot of highs and lows. You're going to have the the moments where you you make spectacular plays, and and you get a lot of attention, and you're going to have twice as many moments where nothing happens. You don't move the needle at all. You just show up and do work every single day. But being able to develop that consistency is what pays off over time. You know, and I think. You know, Jalen came into the league with with supernatural athletic ability in, in the way he can jump. And, you know, it's like all of us, every time you change levels, it takes an eye, it's an eye opener to what else you need to add to your game and your routines and your habits to sustain at a new level. And that's what he's in the process of learning and developing right now, which he's uh, he's on his way. It's it's great to hear that and and how players can can navigate that. Thinking about that that mental side, I was curious to ask you about Champion Swift, which is a, a program you've been developing recently, and what made you realize that there was something missing in the mental side of the game to go all in on that. 
Yeah, when I moved from the video room into a player development role with the Phoenix Suns, um, as I started working with more of those players, uh, the players I started working with were kind of the end of the rotation guys, you know, 10 day contract guys. Uh, and we were trying to figure out ways to, uh, I was trying to help them crack the rotation, get meaningful minutes and be impactful in those minutes. Uh, now in the NBA, you don't have a lot of uh, uh, practice time. So they're doing a lot of individual workouts and small group workouts. And so I found, I found two kind of missing pieces for those guys to try to crack the rotation. One, how do we get what they're learning in those individual workouts to apply to the game setting? And then two, when the lights come on, how do you make all that hard work pay off? How do you perform well at your best uh, uh, in the biggest moments? And I was watching guys like Steph Curry, who seemed to do impossible things every single night and drop into mind states seemingly on demand. And, and how does he do this? How does he tap into this on a consistent basis? And just the way I'm wired, I didn't believe that uh, it's something you have or you don't. I had a cohort of players I was working with, and I got to figure out how to help them reach that level. So that's where I, uh, I dove into it and to figure out those two things, the application of skills learned. And then two, which is where I've really spent a lot more time with championship is how do we make all that hard work pay off when it matters most? How can we be at our best in competition's biggest moments? And it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's been fun. I think it's a, it's a, it's a piece that is untapped, especially in the NBA but uh, uh, but a place with a lot of potential um, to help players develop and grow. Of course, that entire subset of the of the coaching industry is so, in terms of the mental side, is so interesting. Um, what in terms of with, with championships, how can players get accustomed to it? How could they learn more about it? Um, how could they end up using it? What what does that look like for them? Yeah, so um, we have a program, kind of our our premier program is called Catching Confetti, and it's a it's a online eight week program that uh, we kind of, we've distilled down the seven essential mindsets of world-class performance. And so in that program, we teach through the seven mindsets, and then we offer exercises to help you develop those mindsets in yourself. And so uh, we've actually set it up for athletes and for coaches to, to help you develop that part of your game. And, and how can we, like I talked about with Steph Curry, how can you drop into kind of a, a flow state flow mindset, almost on demand. And through that program with Catching Confetti, uh, we got videos online, exercises to go through it, discussion guides to do it as a group and team. You know, I'll coach people through the process one-on-one. And so uh, uh, that's kind of the, the, the gateway to tapping into your best mindset. Exciting stuff, definitely. And um, one thing I thought was interesting that I heard you talk about on the Basketball Immersion podcast, you were talking about how um, Co- Kobe Bryant would find losing exciting because mm. he saw it as an opportunity to get better. Can you can you talk about that a little bit more and, and how players can really take advantage of that of that little piece of advice? Yeah, it's what we talk about with the victor mindset, which is the, the third piece of our seven mindsets. And it, and it is that, is how do you approach negative outcomes or outcomes that didn't maybe match your expert expectations. And it's this idea of that we're trying to learn from every experience. Life is more about who you're becoming than what you achieve. 
It's more about growing and, and experiencing than accomplishing and conquering. And with that mindset, your potential is endless. You, you always have another, um, another step, another new thing to try on. During the, the pandemic uh, shutdown quarantine phase, I joined a tennis league, a uh, little city tennis league. In every match, you know, the idea was let's go play as much tennis as I could to see how good I could get. And I went three and 10 my first season in the league. It, but the whole idea was like every match was a chance to learn. Every match was every time I got to swing the racket was a chance to learn. And so uh, the wins and losses weren't the thing. It was how much can I learn? How much how much better could I get uh, just by putting myself out there? And every time you lose or you, you know, you face an obstacle or an opponent that exposes a weakness. That's exciting. That's thrilling because here's another opportunity for me to grow. Here's another opportunity for me to expand my skill set, my tool set, uh, or my mindset. And so I think that's what, what Kobe was referring to when he talked about that losing being exciting. Definitely. It's incredibly insightful to think about that. And for one final question, I was curious to hear about what kind of maybe when it comes to developing mindset, what were some mistakes that you made early on that if you could go back, you'd have some advice to tell your past self, Hey, coach Brett, tw a 20 year old coach, Brett, a 25 year old coach, Brett, this is what you should be doing differently for, for over the next few years to really help these players get better. Well, what's some advice you'd give your past self? Yeah, I would tell them to, I would tell myself to go through catching confetti. Because everything I've learned and built in this program is is like is what I needed to be a better player as a college athlete, but even be a better coach from the get go. And so uh, uh, I think that's what I would tell myself is I think I think two things uh, part of that. One is your your mindset can be developed. Like what these great players have, the people I would stand in awe of. At, at the phenomenal things they were able to do. It's not because they were born with it. They might have been born with some like talent, right? Or athletic ability that I can never, I'm never going to jump as high as LeBron. But the mindset those guys are able to tap into is, is not unique. It's not reserved for a chosen few. We can develop that in ourselves. And, and I think if I had that understanding and then invested in it, you know, took time to, you know, we all lifted weights a lot and we all took a, you know, shot a hundred jumpers every day. You know, we all did those kind of things, but how many of us spent time developing the mental skills? And I don't think it's done enough. And I don't think it's done intentionally enough towards this, towards a specific outcome. And so I think I would have told myself those two things, you can develop it now go develop it, spend time on it. Incredible advice because so many people don't really pay enough attention to it and really neglect that aspect of the game. And th that's great advice of you really need to immerse yourself in this and, and really take it seriously. So Coach Brett, thank you so much for coming on. I think this was a, a great episode that really opened my mind up to benefits of the mental side of the game, as well as a bunch of lessons from your outstanding coaching career up to this point. And I, I can't wait to see what's next. And best of luck with everything going forward. We'll definitely keep in touch. Awesome. Thanks, John. I appreciate you uh, giving me the opportunity to share. Thanks for listening to Gen Z Hoops. Make sure to follow, like, and subscribe on Instagram, LinkedIn, and all major social media platforms at Gen Z Hoops. 
you can tune in and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, and every other podcast platform on the planet. Get ready for the next episode.